All right. Well, as they um, enthusiastically head back to children's worship, I'd like to ask you to enthusiastically open up your Bibles to the book of Philippians. Now, I thought spring break was last week, but the last two Sundays around spring break, we were packed and we couldn't find any place to sit. And now we get off spring break and everybody goes out of town or something. I don't know what it is. Or they got sick on spring break. I don't know what happened there. But uh, we're glad you're here. They're going to miss the beginning of Philippians. Oh, can you believe that? Unbelievable. Website, that's exactly right. Yeah, it's probably better website. You don't have to look at me, right? All right. Well, this morning we're, we're going to begin this, this marvelous letter um, from God's Word. And we're going to study all the way through the book of Philippians. And I've been looking so forward to this. I love... The, this is hard, it's hard to say this, right? It's hard to say, this is my favorite portion of Scripture, you know, because it's all inspired, it's all God's Word, and I kind of say that a lot, but whatever I'm in, that's my favorite part. But this, ver- this, this particular book has ministered to me in my own personal life in an unbelievable way. So it does mean a lot to me, um, and, and, and very, very personal to me. And I've memorized it um, three times, actually, in two different versions <laughs> I did it in, in, in NSB because that's what I study out of. And then a friend wanted to memorize it, and he used the ESV, so I said, let's do it in the ESV too. And that was probably good. You know, I got a little different flavor of wording and those kind of things and probably helped me understand the book even better. Uh, so we're going to look at this amazing passage of Scripture. What I want to do this morning is I'm going to read verses 1 through 11. We will not get through verses 1 through 11, but I want us to read a portion of this letter uh, to the Church of Philippi from Paul. So follow with me as I read the first 11 verses of the letter to the Philippians. Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it's only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge, in all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, as we hear these words read, as we look at them with our eyes and we read along, remind us, Lord, that we are hearing from you, that you are speaking to us through your word, just as you've always done. No less greater than when you spoke audibly to many in the Old Testament, when we are hearing your word. And Lord, help us approach it that way. Help us understand that this is your word, that it is life-changing. And Lord, we come this morning, we all need to be changed. We need to be changed by the only means that you've made possible for us to change, and is that is by the power of the Holy Spirit through your word. Your very son prayed that you would sanctify us in your truth. Your word is truth, and Lord, we come needing sanctification. We come needing change. 
And we are at your mercy to do that. So, Lord, we come to your word and we ask you to use it in that way. Help us now as we begin to study this portion of your word, the book of Philippians. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I've got some questions for you all this morning. You ready for some questions? All right. Hope, maybe you hope, hope you're ready to answer. Uh, these are going to be simple answers, but they're going to be maybe penetrating questions. First question, how many here this morning need to have your passion for the people of God strengthened? All right. How many here this morning need to have your prayer life strengthened? I'm just going to do this. How many here this morning need to be reminded of the power of the gospel? How many here this morning need to be more passionate about the spread of the gospel? How many here this morning struggle with being selfish? How many here this morning struggle sometimes with grumbling and complaining? How many here this morning need to be challenged to be more sacrificial in investing your time, talent, and treasure for the sake of the gospel? How many of you here this morning need to encourage encouragement to press on in the midst of difficulty or opposition? How many of you here this morning struggle with being anxious sometimes? How many here this morning, or, or worry, if you want another word. Okay, there we go. We'll just include everybody. How many here this morning sometimes find themselves struggling with negative thoughts? Maybe even right now. All right, how many here this morning need to grow in being content in every circumstance? How many here this morning need to trust God more to provide for your needs? How many here this morning need to find your joy in Christ alone? Well, good news. If you raised your hand or said yes to any or all of those questions, the book of Philippians is for you. Because all those things the book of Philippians covers and more. We could, I could still be asking questions right now. What an amazing little book. Four chapters that Paul writes. And it covers all those things in detail and gives us hope that we can change. See, the book of Philippians, again, is, the, is God's word. And by the power of his spirit, through his word, he promises he will bring change. So let me ask you this question. Do you want to be changed? Do you want to be changed from the inside out? by the means which, which God has given us. Well, if so, I'm going to ask you to join me in this journey through Philippians. And I, I've entitled this, the, the series, or kind of a big subtitle Philippians, is Finding Joy in Christ Alone. That's what this book is about. But we can find joy in Christ alone. Well, in order to properly understand Philippians... We're going to first have to understand what? Help me. The context. That's exactly right. If you're new here uh, to Grace Bible Church, we, we, when we work through books of the Bible, what we normally do, just kind of go through the book. We always ask the question, what's the context? Well, we've got to understand the context. We will misunderstand the book of Philippians. In fact, if we don't understand the, the context of any portion of Scripture, we will misunderstand that portion of Scripture. And so often, and our misunderstandings come from our lack of understanding context. You know, we live in context, don't we? If you're having a conversation with someone, and someone else walks in while you're having this conversation, and they observe or hear a few words, and all of a sudden they jump in. You ever have that happen? Or maybe you've been the person jumping in. And you come in, and you start saying all this, and you're, you're sharing this and this, and they're looking at you like, Where is, what are they talking about? The reason why is you jumped in out of context. 
You have no idea what they were talking about, yet you come in, you got all this information that they're not asking for the information. And it has nothing to do with what they're talking with because you're not in context. And, and, and it can be, it can be, that, can, that can be embarrassing. But if you are out of context in Scripture, it can be devastating. It can be even damning if you're out of context in Scripture. So we want to make sure we're in context. We're going to look at the context of the book of Philippians. In order to do that, I'm going to ask you, I've had you turn Philippians. Now turn back to your left to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 16. Acts 16, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. If you are Romans, go back to the left a little bit more. So as we studied God's word together over the past few years, we've been reminded of this over and over again. God has a plan to redeem or rescue people from sin. And not just some people, but the Bible tells us people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. People from all over the world, from all walks of life. He has a plan to rescue them from sin, to redeem them, to purchase them out of sin. And his plan of redemption was not and is not reactionary. In fact, the scripture teaches his plan of redemption was before the foundation of the world. He didn't go, oh, they sinned, what am I going to do now? It tells us that before they sinned, before Adam and Eve sinned, he had a plan. Because he knew sin was coming, didn't he? And he already had a plan. What an act of grace. What a gift that he would already have a plan. I'm thankful God's not reactionary. Because he'd be worn out reacting, wouldn't he? God is never intimidated by our sin because he has a plan of redemption. And I'm so thankful for that. Well, all of Scripture shows that uh, this very fact. And so we've got to consider Acts 16, the book of Philippians, and we need to ask this question about them. Where and how does information of Acts 16 of Philippians fit into God's eternal plan of redemption? Where does it fit in there? If it's a plan, if it's a story, and it is a story, it's not, it's not a make-believe story like we think, it's, it's a story. History is his story. All right, so we're going to this story, and where does it fit in that storyline? We have to ask that. We have to understand it. We always have to put it in its context there as well. Well, after Jesus died and was raised, 50 days later, he was with his apostles, the ones he would call to be his apostles, and Jesus, right before his ascension, charged these apostles, 11 of them at this time, in Acts 1.8. Look what he charged them with. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. Now, this is the outline of the book of Acts. So right here is the outline. Somebody says, outline the book of Acts. Just go to Acts 1.8, because there it is. They'll receive power, what to be his witnesses, Where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost part of the world. What happens? From there on out, they go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. That's what happens in the books of Acts. They take the gospel all over the world. And in Acts, in, in Acts 9, the Lord calls and converts Paul. And Paul is used in this plan of redemption, in this carrying out of taking the gospel to the world that was first established in Genesis 3, right after Adam and Eve sinned, God promised he would send a redeemer. That's where we first re- was revealed to us. And all through the Bible, it's just more and more is revealed about the promised Messiah, and Messiah came. 
And then he said, I'll give you the power to go do this. And then he called Paul to be a part of this amazing plan to redeem people from all over the world. So in Acts 13, Paul, on his first missionary journey, uh, goes on his first missionary journey to spread the gospel. He doesn't get too far away. Um, now they're in Antioch. They all, the, all the Christian, most of the Christians got kicked out of Jerusalem, and they're a little north in Antioch, and he just kind of does a little loop on the, on the first missionary journey. He doesn't go too far, but does some amazing things. Then near the end of Acts chapter 15, which you should see now on your paper somewhere, the Lord, in a vision, makes it clear to Paul that, or, first of all, the, the Lord sends him on a second missionary journey. So he's on one, now he's on his second missionary journey. And in Acts 16, the beginning of Acts 16, he picks up Timothy, uh, and the Lord makes it clear that he is to take the gospel to Macedonia, where the city, city of Philippi was located. Okay, Macedonia, the city of Philippi is in Macedonia. Where in the world is that? Voila. I'm going to help you. All right? Now, if you see here on this side, I can show you over here. See Philippi up there? This is Macedonia. Okay, here's Jerusalem's down in here. They come up here. Antioch, he leaves, comes up here, boop, takes a boat right there. There's Philippi on this side. All right, here we go. Philippi's right there. See this word says Macedonia. And if you're looking at the back one, I can do it over there too. All right, that's just me. Um, But there you see it. Now look in your Bibles at verses 11 and 12 of, of chapter 16. After the Lord's saying, hey, you need to go to Macedonia. So putting out to sea from Troas, we ran a straight course onto Samothrace and the, on the day following into in, in Neapolis. And from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. And we were staying in the city for some days. Well, what do we know about Philippi? What, what do we know about this city? Of, of, it says of, it's of some, some importance. It's a leading city. It's a Roman colony. We, we see that there. But what else do we know? Well, it was... Founded in the 4th century B.C. by a guy named Philip II of Macedonia. How many of y'all have ever heard of Philip II of Macedonia? All right? Okay, let me help you. He had a son named Alexander the Great. How many of you heard of Alexander the Great? Yeah, Alexander the Great's father founded Philippi. Isn't that cool? And it's important. It's very important to know that, to know the, the rich history of this city called Philippi. Now, anybody, did anybody, does anybody enjoy reading Shakespeare? Don't admit it. Okay, just kidding. I'm kidding. Um, it's, it's English professors, right? And they come, yeah, they have to read it. I actually, I actually read a lot of Shakespeare in college because I had a major in communications and I took a lot of English classes and I actually kind of began to enjoy it. In high school, I didn't enjoy it because it, 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 it was borderline keeping me ineligible. You know what I'm saying? So, um, so, but I began to enjoy it. But one of those stories in Shakespeare, it tells this history of Brutus and Cassius, they're defenders of the Roman Republic, were fighting against Anthony and Octavian. And who were those guys? Avengers of Caesar's death. And you know where the war took place? Philippi. Philippi. I mean, there's a lot of neat things that happened in Philippi. And, and, and it was conquered then by Rome in the middle of the second century. BC, and then in 42 BC, it becomes a Roman colony, and in some ways, it becomes a mini Rome. The culture, it's like being in Rome. And if you go to Holland, Michigan, especially at certain times of the year, they have all these tulips everywhere. They got windmills, they got wooden shoes. You think you're in Holland. Well, if you would go to Philippi at this time, you would think you were in Rome. The culture, the architecture, the language, it looked like Rome. So here come Paul 
and his missionary team of Silas and Timothy and Luke. Luke. Well, not only did Luke write the book of Acts, you see this is one of the we passages in the book of Acts. He's talking we. Luke's writing, he's saying we. He was there. So they had four team, these guys walking in to the city of Philippi. And the Lord chose this city to be a part of his unfolding gospel story. Now think about this. This is the first time the gospel sets foot that we know of on the European continent. Look at that. That's Europe. It never had been in Asia, in Asia Minor, but never Europe yet until now. Right here. To the ends of the earth, we're seeing it happen right here. He's taken the gospel to Macedonia, to Europe, to Philippi. I, I just get chills thinking about that. Maybe it's maybe it's because of the air conditioner. I don't know. But I hope the rest of you all, when you think about that, that is amazing. We just saw the gospel go to a new continent right here in Acts 16. And it's important for us to know, and Philippi was the leading city in that. We've got to know that. When we read through this whole book and we study, that's important. And we'll, I'll keep pointing that out. It came to Europe. When, in, in verse 13 in, in chapter 16, we find them on the Sabbath going outside the city. There's no synagogue there. So they go find where are the people who at least have an interest of God. So they go outside the city, and, and, the, and they find these women in this place of prayer, and they begin to speak to these women about the gospel. And they meet a lady named Lydia there. Now, Lydia, we find out, look there in, in, in verse 14, a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God. What in the world does that mean? Or it may say God-fearer. She was a Gentile who was interested in the, thing, in, in the Jewish faith. All right, and look what it says. She was a worshiper of God, was listening, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. Let me read that again. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. This may be my favorite description of what God does in the heart of someone who brings in the faith in himself. The Lord opened her heart. And truth be known, if you're here this morning and you know Christ, the Lord opened your heart too. Just like he did Lydia's. He opened your heart so you could respond to the truth of the gospel. What tenderness, what love that he would open her heart and open your heart. Well, it's not done. I mean, that's amazing enough right there. We could go now and just teach the book of Philippians and that background would be pretty cool, but we're not done. Look what else happens. Next, there's a slave girl, and she's possessed by a demon, and a bunch of guys are making money off of her. And look at what she does when the demon comes on, and, and they're making all kinds of money. And so guess what they do? They cast the demon out of her. And those guys were just thrilled about that, weren't they? No, so they were upset. They told the authorities, these guys are making a bunch of problems. We've got to get rid of these guys. So based upon their testimony, they throw them into prison, into jail. But this slave girl, I wonder what happened to that slave girl. Not only was this demon cast out, but my guess is, is the Holy Spirit came and resided in her. We're not told that for sure, but they were on a mission. And I'm telling you, when they left, that, that, that town was changed. They're not done because we're going to see someone else. He's going to open their heart as well. So maybe that's what happened to her, but something happened. God was at work, and they threw him in prison because of this. Now they're in prison. 
And it's injustice while they're in prison. And look what the response is while they're in prison in verse 25. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. They're doing what? They're in there for injustice. They didn't do anything wrong. And they're singing and praising God while they're in prison. Wow. And then what happens? An earthquake. You ever been in an earthquake? I was in San Diego. And uh, John and I were in this hotel. We were at FCA National Convention. We left Joshua back in Springfield, and we brought Anna Marie. She was just a little tyke. It's hard to remember Anna Marie that small, all right? But she was just a little, and she was in a little pack and play. And all of a sudden, we woke up our sleep, and, and I try to get up, and I'm all over the place. And, and trying to get over to Anna Marie as quickly as I possibly could. And the, the whole building's just going back and forth. And it was an earthquake. It was scary. I didn't know what was going to happen. And uh, long story short, they, they had everybody get out of the hotel. We didn't know that. We stayed in there. And it, the next morning we woke up, they all said, we thought the rapture had come. You know, and I said, why weren't you guys there then? You know, and it was crazy, but it was just, it was a scary time. And, and, and there was cracks in the walls and all this kind of stuff. And, but there's an earthquake here, and, and, and surely there's fear. And, and the jailer wake, wakes up, and he finds out that the doors are open to the jail. And he's just, he's just sure that all the prisoners have run off. So he takes his sword to kill himself. Because they would have killed him if the, if, if, if the um, this, is a, this is a colony of Rome. Remember, this is a province of Rome, mini Rome. They would have killed him for letting the prisoners go. So I'm just going to kill myself right now. And, and, and Paul and Silas yell, don't do it. Don't, we're all here. We're all here. Then in verse 30, look how the, the jailer responds. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, isn't that a strange way to respond to these events? I mean, just, that's just strange. There's an earthquake and, and all this kind of stuff, and, 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 and Paul and Silas are, are singing, and, maybe, and it says that the prisoners were listening, and maybe they're talking to the prisoners and stuff like that. We don't know exactly what's going on here, but we know that they weren't addressing, they were not preaching to the jailer. Specifically, they weren't talking to the jailer. He just shows up thinking they're all gone. And, and, and this happens, and they said, don't kill yourself. And he said, what should I, what should I do to be saved? And it's obviously he's talking about something beyond a physical saving because of what happens next. I mean, the Lord is obviously at work in his heart. You know what happened? The Lord opened his heart just like he did Lydia. That's what happened here in Acts 16 to this jailer. Now, in the providence of God, and I, I really mean this. I didn't bring, I'm not bringing this up just this, because of this this morning. But in the providence of God, my good friend Scott Hansen sitting right here on the front row. And Scott and I go way back in the FCA days and, 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 F, and, and fellows Chris athletes in Springfield, Illinois. And, and God in his providence and his mercy uh, used one of our coaches and, and one of our coaches' friends to, and to, open, to, to, to bring the gospel to Scott as the Lord was opening up his heart. And then Scott and I met and we began to meet. And Scott would just pepper me with questions. I mean, it was just boom, 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 fire, rapid fire. It's, it helped me grow a ton. And we get, get to, used to get together. One of the things, places we used to get together was the Olive Garden. And Scott goes exactly where I'm going with this story. So we're sitting at the Olive Garden. We don't have one here. I love the Olive Garden. I wish we'd get one. Free breadsticks. Yeah, free bread. All the breadsticks. It's soup and salad. At that time, it was like five bucks all you could eat. And we would just tear it up. All right? And so we're sitting there eating, and, and it, it's, I'm, I'm sitting here, and Scott's sitting there, and we're just back part of Olive Garden. There's windows around, 
And we, we were there for a little bit late, for late, later lunch. And there's only one couple sitting back here on the other side. And we're talking and we're talking. And they leave. And I just noticed there's a bus boy comes around. He's starting to clean his table. We're, we're talking and we're just talking. Scott's answering questions. We got our Bibles open. We're just talking back and forth, just enjoying some good conversation about the Lord. And, and, and this busboy is like, take, there's only two people there. And I'm like, I only had soup and salad. How long does it take to clean up a table? He's just taking forever. He must be working on per table, per hour or something. And it's just taking forever. And, and he goes and he comes, passes us, and he comes back. And I'm thinking, man, what is up with this guy? And then all of a sudden he goes past us and he comes back and he says, you know, I've always wondered how God and sports fit together. And he was a young man at home for a semester or for maybe the summer or something like that who was a baseball player in Florida, a college baseball player in Florida. And he begins to we begin to ask questions, and he's really asking, how can I be saved? And right there in the awe of God, this kid kneels down, and he trusts the Lord Jesus Christ. Jerry Coons is his name, and he started coming to our coach's Bible study and growing. And he went back to Florida, a changed man, because the Lord opened his heart. And we weren't even talking to him, were we, Scott? I was bugged by him almost. What's wrong with this guy? You know, and the Lord brings him around and, and he overhears and we weren't even talking right to him because the Lord opened his heart and he brought us there on that day for that moment for Jerry Coon. I believe that all in my heart. That's exactly what happened here. And the Lord still does, I just you, the Lord still does this kind of stuff. We get all worried about, man, I don't know if I got the gospel exactly right. I don't know if I got to say. Just say something. Just tell him Jesus loves him. He died for him. The Lord can use that. He's working on their heart. It doesn't take much. Now, we need to know what the gospel is. I'm not saying that. But, hey, we weren't even, talk, we weren't even talking specifically about the quote-unquote gospel at the time. And the Lord reached in and changed Jerry's life. That's what happened here. It's the Lord who opens hearts, and he brings the gospel through people at just the right time. Well, after this, Paul pulls a trump card and says, I'm a Roman citizen. They, beat a, put, they imprisoned a Roman citizen for no, no reason at all. And they get a little scared, and they ask him to leave. Like, Could you please leave? And he visits the believers, and he leaves. Well, Paul visits the church at Philippi two more times during his third missionary journey. That's Acts, Acts 19 and 20. So he spent some time in Philippi. It's important for, important for us to know that. And then Paul's put in prison in Rome, in which there, uh, there while he's in prison, uh, the church of Philippi sends him a gift by a guy, a guy named Epaphroditus, which we're going to look at in, in chapter 3 and 4. All right. And then... Uh, Paul sends this letter, this letter, this way, they've sent Epaphroditus with a gift, and Paul sends Epaphroditus back after he almost died being sick, and we'll see that too, back with the letter, this letter right here. Paul sends back. Well, we got this letter. Amazing. But he writes to the church of Philippi. And he's, and he's in prison there in Rome, and he writes between 60 and 62 AD, as a thought. Uh, and this is where Philippians fits into the God, God's eternal plan of redemption. Isn't that cool? Okay, I'm the one that thinks it's cool. We're all right, all right. But here's what happens. He goes from Philippi to Rome and back to Philippi. That's what's happening here. The gospel is just back and forth. It's amazing. So let's begin to look at this wonderful little letter here the Lord wrote um, through Paul to his people at Philippi. And again, we're going to only get through the first two verses this morning. All right, we'll jump in, and hopefully next week we'll, we'll, we'll actually do Verses 3 through 11, by God's grace, we'll see how that goes. But to help us capture the emphasis that Paul's getting at here in, in, in this, these, these first two verses, we're gonna, I, want, I want to just point out three words. Three words. I'll give them to you right up front. Humility, identity, and blessing. Humility, identity, and blessing. 
So as we, and as we deal with each of these words, we're going to begin to discover what it takes to find joy in Christ alone. Just in these three words. So let's look there at verses 1 and 2 again. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, yes, the format here is a, that he uses was a, a, a general basic pattern to other letters of this time. You can find other letters of this time that they used. Uh, there was a writer, the recipients, and a greeting. We usually are like, you know, Bob, comma, and we write it all out, and then at the bottom we've got sincerely yours, Brian. It's, and they wrote it differently. I mean, I, I kind of wish we did it like this because you don't have to flip over who C wrote it to you. And now an email, he just boom, it just pops up there. If it's, if it's a long email, it may scroll down or something. Um, but but it's, it's, it's a, this is a general one. But Paul purposely packs with meaning in this salutation, in this greeting, in this beginning of a letter, purposely packs it with powerful meaning like no other letters. This is not by accident why he writes it this way. And we'll see that here this morning. So let's now look at the first word that's going to help us understand what Paul has to say here and also help us to begin to discover, as we will the rest of Philippians, how to find joy in Christ alone. First word is humility. Notice how Paul refers to himself and Timothy in verse 1. My translation says bond servants. Uh, Yours may say servants. The word is doulos. And you need to buy this book if you you haven't ever read this book. It's called Slave by John MacArthur. He looks at this word in depth about how it's used in the New Testament. And we miss a lot because we translate it servant or bond servant. It's the word slave. And I understand in English translations, especially when you get into tra- slavery, is a negative thing, especially in the United States. It's, it's negative in England. It's negative in English-speaking word because of the slave trade that we know of. But the word is slave. And, and well, So what's a slave? Well, a slave is a person who is legally owned by someone else and whose entire livelihood and purpose was determined by their master. That's a slave. That's what this word doulos would be understood by the, the, the readers of Philippians. And we have to, under, first of all, ask, what would they have understood by this word? Not what we understand the word to mean. What they understood. That's what they would have understood. And notice Paul does not, he calls himself a slave. And he doesn't throw around his credentials of, as an apostle. Now, there's other letters he does. He needs to because they're questioning his credentials. But here he doesn't, this letter to Philippi. But he could have Paul. The great apostle. He could just, more and more flowery language about all his credentials. My conversion experience was greater than everyone's. But he doesn't do that. He says, Paul and Timothy, slaves. Slaves. Paul is humble as he writes to this church that he loves. He refers to himself and Timothy as slaves. He, He saw his role in his relationship with these people as one who serves is one who comes under to serve, not as one who lords over, as a sovereign. And you see, this is the role of all pastors, elders, deacons, and he mentions them here in the end of verse 1, including the overseers, which is another word for elders and deacons. This is the role, is, their role is to serve the body, not to be a sovereign. This is my role with the other elders and deacons here at Grace as well. However, with this said, I, I think it's important that we remember the words of Derek Prime, who was a Scottish pastor, 
He was also uh, the, the, the mentor of Alistair Begg. If you ever heard Alistair Begg from Truth for Life, you might catch him on the radio. He's got that Scottish brogue, and he's in Cleveland and pastors a church there. But this is what he said. It is a pastor's responsibility to always remind his congregation of this. I will always be your servant, but you will never be my master. Now, that could sound arrogant if you don't understand what that means. I will always be your servant, but you will never be my master. And that's important because you can err on one side or the other. If the pastor thinks he's the master, you've got a problem. If the elders think they're masters, you've got a huge problem. But if the congregation thinks they're the masters, we've got a problem, don't we? Because who's the master? And that's exactly what it says. Look at the next phrase. Slaves of Christ Jesus. He's the only sovereign. He's the only master. I serve you along with the other elders and deacons here. But Jesus is our master. And it's important to keep in mind for all believers, we serve each other under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whose church is this? It's not mine, and it's not yours. It's his. This is his church. He's the authority here. And we all serve each other under his authority. That's so important that we keep that in mind, and sometimes I forget that. Sometimes you forget that. We need to be reminded of that. Oh, how we need to follow Paul's example of humility. Humility. Slaves. And so you've got the best master in the world. It's different than the other kind of slavery. And we, we owe everything to him. We, 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 we are trusting him for our very livelihood. And it says he gives us good gifts. What a master we have. And he's called us to serve one another. Well, let's now consider the second word here. It will help us understand Paul's word and also help us begin to understand what, how to find joy in Christ alone. Identity. Notice the word there in, in verse 1, to all the saints. Saints. And it means holy ones. The New Testament word that describes Christians. They've been set apart from sin and set apart to Christ. So the word saints means, it's, it literally comes from the word hagios, which is the word holy. Holy means to cut, to be separate to be set apart. And he's calling, you're the set apart ones. You're the holy ones, the saints. And Paul addressed all these people as saints. It's a shame that this word is so misunderstood today. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to do some special work or have some special work attributed to you. If you are in Christ this morning, you are a saint. You got that, St. Pete? Right there. There's, we got St. Pete right here with us. We got St. Agnes over here. St. Scott right here. St. Natalie right back there in the back. Saints. You go right ahead and feel, called, feel free to call each other saints. Somebody hijacked this word from us. And that's a shame. Shouldn't have been hijacked. And Paul writes this throughout his letters. First and second, in Romans... He does this in 1 and 2 Corinthians, in Ephesians, in Philippians, in Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, Philemon. He calls them saints. It's not a one-time deal. He calls those who know the Lord Jesus Christ saints. Now, why can he and does he call them saints? Why can he do this? Well, notice the very next phrase. Saints in Christ Jesus. 
Their sainthood was a reality because they were in Christ Jesus. That's why they were saints. That's why they were holy. Our sainthood is a reality because we're in Christ Jesus. I mean, it's a, this is a power-packed little greeting, isn't it? And we don't want to miss this. We miss it because we're not there in the first century. We're not in Philippi. We don't know, understand the culture. So we understand, oh, okay, let's just read through. Let's go ahead and start. We're going to memorize Let's start with verse 3. We missed a bunch in verses 1 and 2. Right here. Because they're in Christ Jesus. We were in Adam, and by faith we were placed into Christ. We've been changed because we're in Christ. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is, what does it say? Help me, what's, what's the preposition? In Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. This is the identity of the believer, of the follower of Christ. They are saints in Christ. Saints in Christ. Chatty, I want you to know this morning, you're a saint in Christ. Don't ever forget that. That's your identity. You're not a school teacher. You're a saint in Christ who happens to teach school. Never forget that. Where's Brian, Brian Walter's back there teaching? Brian Walter is a chemist. He's not a, he's not a chemist at Dow. He is a saint who happens to be a chemist at Dow. That's our identity. That's what he's saying. This is our identity. This is who we are. I've said this many times here before. I'm going to say it again because we need to be reminded of this because we're not reminded of in the world. What we do is not who we are. I am not a pastor. I'm not a father. I'm not a son. I'm not a friend. I'm a saint who happens to pastor. and happens to be a father. happens to be a friend. happens to be a son. That's who I am. Now, what we do is not who we are, although who we are has a tremendous impact on what we do. We don't ever forget that either. Saints look different. They act different. They talk different because they've been changed from the inside out because they're what? In Christ. They're in Christ. I, I, I encourage you, in, in Paul's letter here in Philippians, in verse 26 of chapter 1, and in 3, 9, 4, 7, and 4, 19, he uses this phrase, in Christ. All through his letters, he uses we're in him, in Christ, in Jesus. I encourage you to study that. Go study that and see who we are in Christ. It's amazing. You see, being in Christ changes everything. It changed Lydia. She was once not in Christ, and then she was placed into Christ. It changed her life. It changed the, the, the little girl who was possessed by a demon. It changed the Philippian jailer, and actually his whole house of everyone who believed, it said. It changed his whole life because he was not in Christ and he was in Christ. He became a saint. Are you in Christ? Are you in Christ this morning? This is the only end that matters. We spend our whole t- so much of our life trying to be in, being in the in cry- crowd. It was amazing. I knew I was going to be teaching on this, and our speaker this um, at man camp this past weekend on Friday spoke on this very subject about our identity, and he was out of Ephesians. But he was using all these illustrations. I want to use that one. Don't do that. The guys will have to see it again. That's okay. You all probably forgot it already anyway, right? So in Christ, and, he, and it's a picture I was going to use too. There's, there's this line, this imaginary line, and, and, and people that are down here on the line they're not in. But people are over here on this side of the line. I mean, they're in. And we're all working to get on this side of the line. We're all working to get in. And don't tell me you're not. and You haven't. As a little kid, you were working to get in. How'd you do it? You had to have the right toys. Where the, get, as a teenager, you had the right clothes, right? Because all the in people are there. All the people who didn't have the right toys, they were down here. And we're doing everything to get there. And adults don't smile. Right? You've got to have the right car, the right house the right clothes, to get in. And we work all our life to be in. 
And the only end that matters is in Christ. That's the only end that matters. None of this other stuff. There's no line. There's not a line. It's, it's not there. If you're in Christ, it's the only end that matters. Are you in Christ this morning? How do you get in Christ? Well, it doesn't have anything to do with power or prestige or positions or possessions. It has to do with the person of Christ. How do you get into Christ? You can't earn it. You'll never earn it. You can never do enough good to earn Christ's favor, to be in Christ. His standard is perfection. And we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, haven't we? All of us. And the wages of sin is death. We deserve hell because of our sin. So how do we get in Christ? Well, the Scripture says we repent. We quit trusting in ourselves. We quit trusting in our power and possessions. We wipe out the line. and say, I, I, can't, I can't. I can't do it. I just don't have the power to do it. And we turn and we trust in the, what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us. It's by grace alone, through faith alone. That's how we get in Christ. That's great news. Because if I've got to work this line, I'm in trouble. And so are you. In Christ. Are you in Christ? If so, your identity is a saint. Welcome saints. Well, let's look at the third word here, our last word that will help us understand Paul's words here and help us begin to understand as we work through Philippians. And man, I I hate to just do two verses. I'm just now getting going. I mean, this is great. It's going to help us understand what it means to find joy in Christ alone. The third word is blessing. Look at verse two. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. When you are in Christ Jesus, you're blessed by God. How are we blessed by God? We receive the blessing of grace. We talked about grace last week, right? Titus 2. Grace. What is grace? Well, there's many definitions. It's unmerited favor. We get what we don't deserve. We get the blessing of God's grace. The word means, it's the word, the Greek word for charis. The Greek word, the Greek word is charis. You hear little girls named charis nowadays? Great word. It's a Greek word for gift, for grace. It's a gift. We do nothing to earn a gift, do we? I've used this illustration before. I think it's the very best one. And maybe you haven't heard of it, I'm going to give it again. When a radio station, a Christian radio station says, hey, call in for your free gift. And you call in, they say, yeah, that'll be 10 bucks. That's not a gift. We've got to give a donation for 10 bucks. That's, you're earning it. That is not a gift. You give me the gift. You said it was a gift. They don't give it to you. Because it's not a gift. A gift is free. You do not earn it. God's grace, he gives us the blessing of grace. He also gives us the great blessing of peace, it says here. Grace to you and peace. What is peace? It's the absence of conflict or hostility that leads to a wholeness and well-being in all aspects of our life. From where does this grace and peace come from? The blessing of peace, the blessing of grace and peace? It says right here, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And the order is significant. Grace and peace. He didn't say peace and grace. He said grace and peace, and it's significant. We must first experience his grace before we'll ever, ever know his peace. What it says in Romans 5, 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, justified is another, another word for being saved, made, made right with God. Therefore, having been justified by faith, what it says, we are at what? Peace with God. Now, the problem is we weren't at peace with God before his grace sent his son to justify us. We accepted his gift by faith. That's not a work. We accepted his gift by faith. We were justified, and now we have peace. The Romans 5.10 says we were enemies of God before we were justified. We were, it was hostile, hostile toward us. His wrath was because we were guilty sinners, right? We deserved it. And it said, but through Jesus, through his gift, and by trusting in his gift, Jesus, 
we're justified, and now we have peace with God, grace then peace. And, and look what else the Scripture says about uh, we receive by, because of his grace and peace. Romans 8, 1, therefore, based upon this amazing salvation, grace through faith alone, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. You are not condemned. He's taken you from a place of guiltiness, hostility, of enmity, of being an enemy, and he's placed you as a son and daughter and made you a saint. Grace and peace. We, have the, we are at peace with God because of Jesus. I mean, is that amazing stuff? Humility, identity, blessing. I mean, if you don't make it back for any of Philippians, I'm sorry. But this is, I mean, that's enough. Right there is enough. If we allow this to impact our life, the gospel to impact our life, it will impact every aspect of our life. Humility, identity, blessing. Humility, identity, blessing. I'm repeating that so you remember it. And remember all that this means. So let me ask this last question before I close and before we sing some more. Are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? If not, I beg you. As as, as Paul would say, I implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled with God. Quit trusting in yourself. You'll never earn God's favor. You'll never be able to do it good enough. Just you got to give up on yourself. Give up on the works. Give up on the religious religious ordinances. Give up on them. And turn and trust in Christ alone. And you will be in Christ. And then all the blessings. If you're in Christ, it says you're a joint heir with Jesus. All of it comes to you. All of it comes to you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this unbelievable letter. Lord, I pray as we study it over the next weeks and months ahead that, Lord, you would continue to change us. Lord, you bring humility. We'd understand, Lord, we are your slaves and we are sent to serve each other for your glory. Lord, we are, we are identified not by what we do, but who we are and we, who we are is in Christ Jesus. We are saints in Christ Jesus. You have made us holy in your son. And Lord, we've been so blessed by your grace and peace that it changes everything. Would help us live With that in mind this week, in Jesus' name, amen.